You're saving for retirement, and that's good. As the big day gets closer, the question becomes, where do I stash my retirement savings? On today's show, we'll cover some ways to save that can make a positive difference in your retirement. Welcome in to your retirement with Sam Jones. Welcome to your retirement. Chuck Caton here along with uh, the fine folks of Dual Financial Strategies with over a score of years of experience. And we have a full studio this week of Sam Duell, Andy Schooler, Luke Van Abel. And we're happy to be with you. And remember that uh, Retirement Lifestyle Review is something it can provide for you by calling 866-203-7486. But we'll detail that later. But uh, don't put your money in a mattress. Don't put it in a black hole. Uh, 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 just make sure as we drive down the road to retirement, you you can maximize your savings and continue uh, to grow that nest egg. That's always on your mind, I'm sure. So Sam, Andy, and Luke have eight places uh, that you could stash your savings uh, with some uh, offering some guaranteed growth. And so Sam, we'll start off with uh, something that uh, people may have a good or, or, or bad uh, impression of, and that is the word annuity. Fixed annuities, though, are something uh, that uh, could be considered when we talk about guaranteed growth. That's correct. Uh, a fixed annuity is one of the most secure investments that you can make. They are issued through insurance companies, and they provide a guaranteed income. There's no other financial product that can match that. They're similar to private pensions, if you will. In, in order to fund one, you pay the premium, so you're putting the money into it. And as long as you leave your money alone, fixed annuities won't ever drop below the initial amount that you contributed. And it's also not unusual for are uncommon for annuities to have guarantee levels that are far higher than the minimum. Despite being low risk, fixed annuities can also pay quite high rates. In some cases, the returns can be 100 times higher than that of a high interest savings account. And there are variations that you can do on fixed annuities called fixed index annuities, where you can actually participate in the growth of the stock market without assuming the underlying risk. The company does that for you. Another advantage, a big one for fixed annuities, their tax treatment. Until you withdraw from an annuity, you won't be taxed on your earnings. So this is a great place for those accounts that you have that are non-IRA accounts that you're getting your 1099s, your interest, and your dividend statements on every year. And you're like, I'm paying taxes on money that I don't spend. Well, this is a way to help you with that because you put your money into a fixed annuity. All of a sudden, those 1099s go away. All right, so Andy, uh, another place is uh, your retirement accounts, and we're talking, of course, uh, about uh, employer-matched uh, accounts, uh, your 401ks and the like. Yeah, so a retirement account does offer tax breaks. Now, obviously, that depends if you are funding into a traditional portion of the 401k or if you have a Roth 401k. Um, so do understand the differences between the two. So there are tax breaks if you're funding into a traditional and what that essentially means is dollar for dollar that you put into your 401k up to the limits, those can be deducted from your taxable income at the end of the year. So that's where you get your tax break on them. Um, investments are taxable. And there are brokerage accounts and retirement funds that can be invested. But short-term volatility may result from being in the market or depending on what type of account you're using. If it doesn't have any uh, guarantees on the backside, then of course there's the potential for stock market losses. Your investments are likely to gain value if the market is going up in the long term. And the 401k plan offered by your company 
it's a good place to start. Now, contributions for 2023 are 22500 to your 401k or a 403b or other retirement plans. If you work for the city or a government entity, you could see a 457 um, or a deferred tech comp plan. Employees 50 and older can actually have um, an additional, it's called catch-up amount, which is usually $1,000. So you can put up to $7,500 away per year into a outside IRA. Um, and IRAs can also be used Used if your employer does not offer a 401k, you just have a smaller amount that you can put in compared to the 22,500 to your traditional 401k. IRA contribution limits have increased in 2023 to 6,500 or 7,500 if you're 50 and older. So there is some specific rules, but most of you have been contributing to some version of a 401k, 403b, or 457 plan for a long time. So you're probably aware um, of most of the rules. There's just some new ones as far as increases in the amounts you can contribute. All right, Luke, uh, another place that's good to stash that retirement savings is in a Roth. We've talked about that uh, for a long time, and it's a good place, isn't it? Yeah, Ross, a fantastic place to stash money because the proceeds coming out of that account are tax-free. You are going to use after-tax money to make the contribution, so you're not going to get the tax benefit up front. But there are some different ways that you can fund these types of accounts. The first one is with that after-tax money. Maybe you've got money going into your 401k. Maybe you don't have access to your 401k, but in either case, you can still contribute new money to a Roth IRA up to certain limits. Now, what if you fall into a scenario where maybe one of you is no longer working um, and that one of you that's no longer working, as long as the other spouse has some earned income, they can contribute on your behalf. So we call this a spousal IRA contribution um, so they can contribute for themselves and contribute for you. Um, another way that we can fund Roth IRAs is through transfers or rollovers. So maybe you've got funds in an existing or multiple different Roth IRAs, those can be consolidated and pulled into one type of an account. The other way that these accounts can be funded, uh, because we know that the vast majority of people have most of their retirement savings in pre-tax IRAs, 401ks, and things of that nature, where they can convert that money. They can take the money from the IRA, pay the taxes, and slide it over into a Roth IRA. Now, the advantage of this is that that money is tax-free for the rest of your life, for the person that does that or the family that does that, and for those that inherit that money down the road. All right, let's talk about uh, not the royal family here, Sam, but uh, an aristocrat of another kind, is that is your dividend aristocrats. What do we mean by that in terms of uh, uh, retirement savings? Well, these are uh, these are individual stocks. So that's the first thing you have to understand is that um, you have to be willing to take the risk of owning individual stocks to do dividend aristocrats. But basically, a, a dividend aristocrat is a company that would be defined as having paid and raised their dividends consistently for at least 25 consecutive years. So these are very large, very stable companies. Uh, we've talked at length about dividends on this program before. Those can be a great income source for you in retirement because remember, a dividend payment from an individual stock is not related to the market value or the market price. It's related to how many shares you own. So dividend aristocrats typically represent the world's most famous companies since they have mature businesses with consistent cash flow. And by definition, their income component always rises, meaning that their dividend is always there and increasing provides a safe harbor for you. And we have opportunities for you 
if you're willing to go that route and if your risk tolerance will allow it, where you can do dividend-focused companies like that, you can do growth-focused companies like that. There's a multitude of options, but dividend aristocrats can be a great way to have that regular income in retirement. Yeah, a lot of uh, retirees from the past 20, 30 years uh, went that safe route with those blue-chip stocks as we speak. Well, what about, uh, Angie, health savings accounts? That's another good place. Yes, health savings accounts are a great place, especially if you plan to retire early. An HSA account would be a great way to save money for healthcare expenses. So this is very, very specific as in health savings account for healthcare expenses. You'll be able to deduct your contributions from your taxes. And upon reaching a certain threshold, your HSA contributions are investable. Moreover, HSA earnings and interest are tax free. As long as you use the money for health expenses, you can withdraw and contribute tax-free at any age. HSAs can also be viewed as a traditional IRA or 401ks by the IRS. So if you have money left over after age 65, any expenses you incur can be deducted from the money and it will be taxed as ordinary income. However, an HSA can only be used by people enrolled in a high deductible health plan. So you should take advantage of an HSA if you have a high deductible health plan, or excuse me, a high deductible medical plan. Um, and that gives you the ability to contribute. And then depending on um, your age, how much you can contribute can change. All right. And finally, good old real estate, right, Sam? Yeah, good old real estate. You know, if you start early enough, now the thing about real estate, of course, is that you have to, you probably wanted to have, uh, you know, accumulated your inventory of rental properties early. But generally speaking, you know, real estate works. It can provide you with a steady passive income for the duration of your retirement. And uh, it also can give you a capital asset uh, at some point in time if you decided that that you wanted to sell that. And there's some... uh, very significant uh, tax benefits to owning real estate. You know, landlords can deduct a significant amount of rental income under current tax codes. Obviously, you want to check with your tax preparer, your CPA for that, but that's uh, that's also um, also very good. Uh, and your primary residence, don't forget your primary residence is real estate. If you sell that at some point in time, um, you're not subject to a capital gains tax and you get a very, very large monetary exclusion for the sale of that. But uh, real estate can be, uh, you know, can be can be good for you. And, and be creative when you think about real estate in retirement. You know, I just talked with a with a young man this week. Um that owns a home, but his work has him traveling a lot. And he has a very large two car garage that's next to his house uh, that he's renting for, you know, for rental income for people to store things, store cars and things. So don't just think about, oh, I have to own a house. No, that's not necessarily true. Rental can come in many, many forms. Absolutely. And this is where the Retirement Lifestyle Review comes in very quickly. Sam, what you can do for the listeners. Yeah, that's what it's about. It's about getting to know you and about you getting to know us and just finding out, are we a fit for you? You know, would, would you be a fit for us? Uh, we are very candid and, and open up front with you. We are a conservative advisory ter- firm, and we do focus on and tend to attract conservative investors. Uh, we are not... Uh, you know, we're not the woke bunch. I'm sorry, but we're not still riding around in our cars by ourselves with two or three masks on. So uh, if that's you, you may not be comfortable with us. But if you are conservative, if you are the person that believes that uh, fiscal responsibility is very, very important, that maybe government intrudes too far into your life uh, and that they're real busy spending your money, uh, you might want to talk to us. You might find that our ideas, our thoughts, uh, our philosophies on life very closely fit yours and 
we must, might just turn out to be the right partner to see you to and through retirement. All right. So if you're in the uh, area, uh, anywhere from Green Bay to Appleton, anywhere in the Fox Valley, uh, give them a call here at Dual Financial Strategies. Uh, and it is 866-203-7486. That's 866-203-7486 to get that retirement lifestyle review from Sam, Andy, or Luke. And uh, they will do you well as fiduciaries who uh, are entrusted with uh, doing right by you in retirement. Once again, 866-203-7486. Now, we are going to talk uh, the converse in the next segment, right? You bet. In the first segment, we covered where you should be putting your retirement dollars. This time, let's talk about some places where you shouldn't keep your money. Plus, we'll answer some common questions pre-retirees are asking today. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're back here for Dual Financial Strategies. Chuck Caton here uh, on your retirement. And that's what this show is all about here in the Fox Valley, 866-203-7486. And in studio, we do have Sam Duell, uh, for whom the company is named, and Andy Schooler and Luke Van Abel. And uh, I guess parking your retirement money can be a challenge. Don't put it in a coffee can or uh, dig up your backyard and put it in there or in a deep hole. Uh, but the one thing is certain, uh, there's definitely some places you should not put your money among those. So uh, let's break it down. And I guess uh, even in the environment where interest rates have creeped up a little bit, Sam, savings accounts uh, still throw you behind when it comes to inflation. Oh, for sure. And savings accounts really haven't saw the increase that uh, that some of the other interest rates have. Uh, you know, emergency funds, uh, short-term money, uh, planned expenses, same things like that. Savings accounts are your very best option for that because they're liquid, meaning you can get to the money very, very easily. But apart from that, they don't do you much good. And you're certainly not going to make much interest. The savings account, uh, when you keep you know, $200,000 in a savings account at the bank, the bank should be sending you gifts and fruit baskets at Christmas time because they are profiting enormously on that money while they give you nothing. So we would tell you folks, don't do that. Don't, don't settle for that measly, stingy interest rate they're paying, a quarter of a percent, something like that. Maybe. Put that, yeah, maybe if you're lucky. Put that money to work. We talk about this all the time. But you've got that extra savings in the bank. We're starting to see people that are after the age of 59 and a half that have even looked at doing things like multi-year guaranteed fixed annuities. Those are paying phenomenal rates right now. You can do short-term fixed annuities, get wonderful interest rates that are hundreds of times higher than what you can get in a savings account. So be creative, but do not allow the banks and the credit unions to profit off of your back by keeping these monstrous amount of money in savings accounts. Yeah, and I guess, Andy, uh, to dovetail on what Sam's talking about, the same could be true about CDs and money market rates, right? Um, to a certain degree, yes. So a CD or a certificate of deposit, it is one of the safest ways to invest your money with a bank. And the rates of return, however, right now are better than they were, but still minimal, particularly during economic downturns. Occasionally, a CD might be the right choice for you. A fixed annuity, however, will pay as higher interest rates. Uh, and that's just the way that they work 
insurance companies are usually trying to attract business. Um, banks don't seem to need the business like they used to, and so therefore they don't reward us for putting our money there. They say thanks very much and we'll pay you basically not much, but we'll charge you a lot, be it on your house or your credit card or whatever. So just understand the difference between those two worlds. This can be fairly significant. Another safe way to earn some interest is by opening a money market account or what they call an MMA, which is the short version of that. And although they tend to require higher minimum balance, um, they tend to offer higher interest rates than your traditional savings account, not always. And you know, banks use our money to make other investments or loans with these accounts, and in return they give you a, a small bit of interest. And the interest rates on money market accounts are similar to those on savings accounts. So unless you need access to the money and savings in a short-term time frame, I wouldn't necessarily recommend opening a CD. Now, I will say that credit unions tend to have a little bit better rates than traditional banks do. And so that's something that if you are... Um, looking for something like that, that might be an option to look at. But just be aware that generally insurance companies are paying better than banks are. Yeah, it's amazing. And again, we're talking about where not to put your retirement savings. Uh, just the opposite of what we were talking about in the first segment here with Sam Duell, Andy Schooler, and Luke Van Abel of Duell Financial Strategies. And remember that number. It's 866-203-7486. No cost, no obligation to sit down and speak with them about uh, your retirement. And when I say the no cost and the no obligation, I will... Uh, uh, amplifying what Sam said. Also, no mask, no mas, no yeah. mask, <laughs> yeah, no mask, no attitude, <laughs> no attitude, <laughs> no preaching to you about how you're right people because you drink out of a uh, you know disposable cup. Yeah, and, and no wokeness uh, at no all. Wokeness. All right, okay, here we go now, Luke. We've got the questions. Sam said before that there would be some questions here, some common questions that uh, you might want to ask out there uh, as you're listening to us. So the first question for you, Luke, is to uh, answer this one. Other than banks now, now we've talked about CDs, money market savings accounts with the banks. Where should one keep their money if not in a bank? Yeah. So after your planned purchase sort of account and your emergency fund has been taken care of, you know, as Sam talked about with the savings account, now we start to explore other ways to keep your money working for you. Far too many people today have extremely large balances sitting there that are in what we would consider a stagnant money account because they're just not working for them. So there's the other places you can go to, um, U.S. government treasuries, things like the treasury bills, notes, bonds that have varying um, maturity lengths are some of the safest places in the world to put money. In addition to that, um, as Sam talked about, fixed annuities with guarantees in place for the interest rate. Those can be a place to go. Uh, fixed indexed annuities. If you're looking for participation of the market, but none of the downside, that can be an option. Um, then, of course, those dividend aristocrat type holdings within the market. So those really strong companies that have increase their dividend payments over the last 25 years. That can be a place to go to if your tolerance for risk is a little bit higher. And then real estate can be a fantastic investment as well for the um, income producing ability of it, the capital appreciation of it. At the end of the day, you want to be sure that your the risk that you're taking um, on those assets, first of all, that you're comfortable with. Secondly, that you're being adequately rewarded for that risk. All right, you hear on the commercials every time you hear a bank uh, do an ad, member FDIC, right, Sam? So what type Correct. of accounts are insured by the FDIC? 
Well, those are bank accounts. So when you talk about having uh, FDIC insurance, that's Federal uh, Deposit Insurance Incorporated. Uh, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, those are um, our bank deposits. Now, credit unions have the same thing. It just goes under a different name. Uh, but this covers your money market accounts. It covers your CDs. Now, if you're looking for something other than that, if you start looking at annuities, if you start looking at mutual funds, uh, if you start looking at stocks, bonds, those are not covered by FDIC. There is no guarantee there, of course, because those could lose value, uh, except for fixed annuities, because those cannot lose any value. So you just have to understand what they are. I would tell you, though, um, if you get really hung up on the quote unquote guarantees of FDIC and what uh, uh, credit unions offer, uh, if you notice and you read that symbol real closely, it says it's it's uh, basically backed up by the full faith and credit of the United States. Uh, so first of all, we don't have any credit because we're thirty two trillion dollars in debt. Right. Uh, and if you look at just, I would I would tell you go online and actually do some research for yourself and see how much money is in FDIC. How much money does the federal government have on deposit in the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation for every $1 that you put in the bank? All right. What you're going to find is that it's <laughs> shockingly low. Yeah. Well, then, then uh, the next question is very quickly, uh, you know, are there limits uh, to uh, how much they'll insure for each account? Yes, there are. There are. You have to, you have to look at that. I believe right now, uh, because we are not in the in the banking world, but I believe the the amount right now is two hundred and is it two hundred fifty thousand? Yeah, I, I think yeah, you're yeah, right. Two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars per per deposit. There's some you know there's per account some, type. Yeah, per account type. So okay, all right. Final question here for Andy is how much retirement savings should you keep in low risk investments? Well, I guess that depends on your goals and your risk tolerance. So that will make a big difference as to what sort of risks you're willing to take. A diversified portfolio is typically recommended by financial advisors. Now, I think that can be a bit of a loose term um, because diversified to different advisors can mean different things. Yeah, diversified um, what? <laughs> well, right. And so we we talk about different asset classes for diversification as opposed to different mutual fund groups because we don't, A, use mutual funds, and B, we see that happen often where people come in feeling like they're pretty diversified in their portfolio except for the fact that most of the mutual funds that they own are doing the same thing or in large cap stocks. And so consequently, if the market goes down in that area, then your whole portfolio basically goes down because there's so much overlap in those different mutual funds that aren't really that different. But the upside of taking some risks is that you are able to earn more money if the market is good. And however, some money should always be invested in something less risky and safer. So some common guidelines for choosing how much you should hold in a riskier compared to a safer investment option, an emergency fund of three to six months of living expenses is usually recommended by financial advisors or planners. And keeping these funds liquid in a savings account will allow you to access them if you need or want them. It is possible to allocate the remainder of your retirement savings to a mix of different assets that involve lower and higher risk. Now, obviously, higher risk is totally dependent. If you have questions about what your risk tolerance might be, I suggest you go to our website, dualstrategies.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there is a little hyperlink that says, uh, what is your risk number? And that will take you to another um, 
website called Riskalyze where you can go through and really figure it out. And let's face it, percentages can lie. So we look at dollars as well as percentages because you could say, oh, you know, 10% or 5% or 7% or 14%. Well, that can look very different when you actually put a number attached to it. So make sure that when you are looking at your portfolio that you're saying, okay, 10% of how much? 10% of your total value of assets? 10% of, you know, I don't know if that's your your benchmark or your comfort level level but from a standpoint it is important to understand and work with somebody who has a has your obviously risk tolerance first and foremost that would be working with a fiduciary um secondarily we see it all the time where people will come in and their assets and they say i just don't understand why this lost so much money i thought i was in a conservative i thought i was in a moderate account and when you fare it down and you look at that, well, the definitions can be slightly different between advisors and um, their clients. So just make sure that you are working with somebody who is a fiduciary, who understands your tolerances, have some serious discussion about what that looks like and what that means and how you're going to solve that. That's the whole reason Sam wrote his book, Purpose Determines Placement, because you need to understand what that money is there to do and therefore what tools are available to you that are going to accomplish that. Um, and that's so important that you spend some time there. It's uh, challenging, I know, but take some time to make that happen. All right, and uh, once again, it's all about that retirement lifestyle review. Andy's talking about it, talking about uh, Sam's book, and it's all at no cost and no obligation when you come and visit with them at Dual Financial Strategies. Uh, so give them a call to make that appointment at uh, 866-203-7486. That's 866-203-7486. Luke, Sam, and Andy uh, will be at your service because it is all about your retirement. What's coming up in the next segment, Sam? If the Federal Reserve changes interest rates, it could affect your portfolio. Coming up next, how you can protect your investments from changing interest rates and defend your nest egg for life. And we're back here for Dual Financial Strategies. Chuck Caton with uh, Sam Dual, Luke. Uh, Nobble and Andy Schooler. Dual Financial Strategies has over uh, 20 years of experience uh, in the, uh, the realm of helping U.S. fiduciaries in retirement planning uh, with their retirement lifestyle review. And again, if you didn't catch that phone number to get that no cost, no obligation assessment of your situation, it is 866-203-7486. Well, will the Fed continue to adjust interest rates to try to curb inflation? That's the big question. Most agree that it's probable. Uh, now, what does that mean to somebody who uh, is just about ready to retire? Maybe somebody like yourself? Well, let's break down what it could mean, starting with Sam, with uh, your uh, prognostication about what the Fed's supposed to do. Well, that's the first thing is to understand the Federal Reserve, to most people, just kind of this mystery entity that they really don't even know who they are. But essentially, the Federal Reserve has three powers. Promote maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates. One way to do this is by adjusting short-term interest rates. That's what they're doing right now. If economic growth slows and unemployment rises, well, then the Federal Reserve can cut interest rates to make borrowing cheaper, literally infusing money into the uh, economy. The intention there is to encourage companies to invest in projects, hire employees, things of that nature. And this should increase consumer income and spending. And on the opposite side of the coin, if the economy is growing too fast, well, then they uh, 
put interest rates in an, an upward cycle to try to curb that inflation, which is what we're seeing right now. All right. Very unique situation. We haven't been in this one in about 15 or 16 years. So, Andy, how long uh, and how do changing interest rates affect investments, inflation and the economy, one would ask? Well, as Sam was saying, if the economy is growing too fast, the feds may worry about inflation or other problems that come with the economy growing too fast. So in this case, the fed might hit the brakes and raise interest rates, which is kind of what they've been doing. Higher borrowing costs may prevent businesses from borrowing and investing. They may not be able to hire employees and lower incomes may reduce consumer spending. I mean, we're seeing that all over the place where um, inflation's going up, food prices are going up, fuel's going up. They're not promoting businesses here. They're not kind of on an offensive position. They are basically going into hunker down defense and basically giving away our money. That's interesting. So I guess uh, we better go to the history books here, Luke, and see what we can learn from the Fed's handling of uh, financial crises of the past. Now, is there a, a, a pattern present in uh, the Fed's interest rate adjustments amid periods of uh, economic turbulence? And I can think of uh, at least a couple in the last 22 years, uh, back in 2000, then into, of course, 2007 and eight. Yeah, I mean, 2007, 2008, that's quite a while ago. A lot of people are starting to forget what even happened back then. Uh, but of course, the Fed was cutting interest rates back then um, substantially. That's why we've lived in this low interest rate environment for as long as we have, to your point, Chuck, over yeah. the last 15 years or mm -hmm. so. And, um, you know, during that time, you know, a lot, the Fed was really pulling out all the stops. I mean, they were assisting a lot of the large financial institutions because if you remember they kept coining the phrase too large to fail these yep. banks are too large to fail so they had to be propped up they had to be bailed out um, another thing that was done back then was quantitative easing which is a nice way of saying that they made more money they they pushed a whole bunch they of money. Throwing money. I mean, they were just throwing so much money back into the system. And then printing, uh, printing, well, the, printing. The, the, yeah. the Federal Reserve chairman at that point was Ben Bernanke, and mm -hmm. they nicknamed him Helicopter Ben because he was just literally dumping, dumping, dumping money, money from helicopters. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there was a lot of lending back then to unfit borrowers. So um, I think what we learned from the Fed was that they're willing to do whatever they needed to do. They took really extreme measures. They pulled out all the stops during these time periods. Um, and at the end of the day, for you today in 2023, we need to focus on the things that we can control. How do we diversify our investments? How do we simply spend less than we make? How do we adjust the risk tolerance that we're taking for this time and not let somebody talk us into taking more risk because it's, that's on their agenda? And I think just common sense, we need to be skeptical of things that sound too good to be true. Okay. All right. Uh, again, uh, as we looked at uh, the last maybe five or six or seven years, the Fed raised rates nine times between uh, 2015 and 2018 to compensate for the cuts that Luke talked about. And uh, due to the recent up and down uh, nature of the economy, it's important really to understand how these changes in interest rates affect the components of your investment portfolio. That is important for you out there. So, uh, Sam, what's the impact of interest rate on bonds? 
It's a great question, Chuck. And I think it's one of the most misunderstood concepts that there is in the market today. Uh, people have a have a notion that's been basically, it's kind of been, you know, Pavlov dogs taught to them over the years is that bonds are safe. You know, bonds are stable. Bonds are secure. Uh, in reality, bonds have actually been in a sinking, uh, a sinking scenario for about the last 25 years. Treasury bonds, U.S. Treasury bonds, things like that. Those have some safety and security in them. Bonds are supposed to be held to maturity, so you get your money back. But basically, interest rates and bonds have an inverse relationship. In other words, when interest rates rise, bond prices fall and vice versa. So it makes sense if you think about it. Like if you owned a bond that was paying you 3% for the next five years, and then all of a sudden you can go to the bank or you can go to an insurance company and you can buy a fixed annuity that will pay you 5% for the next two years. Well, that bond is not so attractive anymore, is it? Because you're actually losing 2% a year by owning it. So that's what happens as interest rates go up, bond values go down. And just remember, you have to have the right mixture of all of these things inside of your plan because relying on one or the other is going to get you in trouble. Absolutely. So when interest rates uh, fluctuate, Andy, uh, market interest rates on bonds will fluctuate as well, but not all bonds are affected the same way, are they? No, that's true. Bonds with shorter maturities may have less sensitivity to interest rate fluctuations, so it's worth investigating some of those things. But bonds with longer maturities may sustain some serious losses, and, and people, I think, have been conditioned over time to think that bonds are pretty darn safe, and yet we've seen in the last 15 plus years that essentially bonds are not necessarily working in direct inverse of the market. In fact, they've been going down as well. And so there hasn't necessarily been essentially a safe haven for people to go to um, like they have been in history. So I think it's important to really evaluate what you're trying to accomplish and therefore you know, work with somebody who understands the nuances of the markets today and can help you get into a position where um, you do legitimately have accounts that will take care of your needs as you need them to. Now, we're talking about how interest rates affect your retirement uh, savings here. And I know, Luke, that uh, Sam touched upon the inverse uh, nature of uh, uh, interest rates going up, bonds going down. But what else happens when interest rates fall? Yeah, so when interest rates fall... Um, we see mortgage rates start to fall, meaning you can borrow for cheaper. That makes things more attractive. People start to think more about maybe selling their home or getting a new mortgage or refinancing. Um, in particular, when it comes to the stock market and investing there, there can be some opportunity for gains if you think about it from the company's standpoint. All right. So Luke talked about when rates uh, fall. So Sam, I know you talked about that inverse thing when rates rise about bonds, but what else happens when those interest rates rise? Well, I, you know, as, as Luke said, when interest rates fall, bond prices rise. It's the exact opposite. When interest rates rise, then bond prices, the face value of it, if you will, is going to fall. Um, mortgage rates are going to go up. You're going to pay more for a mortgage. We've seen a huge increase in those here over the past year or so. Uh, potential stock market losses, because when we're in a rising interest rate environment, um, companies are hesitant to invest. Uh, consumers tend to be more hesitant to spend. Uh, they do not have as much access to money. So that makes the stock market uh, very volatile. Uh, but it does help you 
um, with uh, fixed annuities. Uh, it helps you with uh, savings accounts and CDs. Um, savings accounts and CDs are typically one of the last places that you'll see an int- uh, uh, a benefit from uh, higher interest rates, but you're certainly seeing CD rates higher than you ever have. Uh, but uh, multi-year guaranteed fixed annuities are paying phenomenal rates right now. Uh, and that also bleeds over into the fixed index annuity world where we're seeing much higher guaranteed rates inside of those as well. So very quickly, Andy, how do changes in interest rates impact uh, other items maybe in your portfolio? Things to be aware of would be an increase in the Federal Reserve interest rates that can lead to a higher annualized percentage yield, or APY, for CDs and savings accounts, and we've seen some of that. Interest rates on CDs and savings accounts are generally cheaper after rate hikes and less favorable after rate cuts. So higher interest rates lead to lower commodity prices, and higher interest rates can create an unfavorable environment for these assets and vice versa. However, if you own real estate, a rate hike can hurt you, but a rate hike, excuse me, a rate cut can benefit you. Real estate prices are closely related to the interest rate market, right? If it's harder to borrow money because it costs you more, then the price of the home has to come down. Now, we saw this in the 80s, um, particularly, where we saw double-digit mortgage rates and interest rates on CDs were in the single high digits. You might be able to find some in the low double digits, but you were paying a ton on your mortgage interest rates, which means that to borrow money costs you so much. And so to buy a home, for instance, or build a home, those prices have to come down everywhere else in order to be able to afford that. So finally, Sam, what's the takeaway? Well, the takeaway is you just need to come in and talk to us. We need to talk to each other and just see, you know, is this a fit for you? We say this all the time, but we sincerely, sincerely mean it. That initial visit is just to sit down with you to see if we can help you, to see if we can provide you a value. Are there things that we do that would be a benefit to you? Folks, we're a full service fiduciary registered investment advisory firm. We can do everything from stock market-based investments to fixed annuities, fixed indexed annuities, and we don't have a bias. We don't have a predetermined uh, end result when you come in and see us. There are no sales quotas in our office. There are no agendas. Um, and we're certainly not going to be someone that you're going to have to be concerned about expressing your viewpoint too. It's amazing how many professionals we have come in, doctors, attorneys, people of that nature that can talk about their feelings, that can talk about their societal feelings today, that can talk about the nature of the world today and feel safe in our offices doing that. They tell us all the time we could never talk about this anywhere else. So it's a welcoming environment. It's a safe environment. It's an open arms environment, a conservative firm, firm serving conservative investors. 866-203-7486. No cost, no obligation get that assessment and uh, anywhere in the Fox Valley that you're listening to it because it is all about your retirement. 866-203-7486 to get that retirement lifestyle review. And again, it's at no cost, no obligation. We've got to uh, take a break. What's coming up in our final segment, Sam? Well, it's time once again to turn to our listeners and see what's on their minds. Answer their questions. We'll be right back. back for Dual Financial Strategies with our question and answer segment. I'm Chuck Caton, and in studio we have Sam Duell, Luke Van Abel, Andy Schooler, and it's uh, all about the retirement lifestyle review that they can uh, provide for you. 866-203-7486. And whether you're listening to us uh, in Green Bay, Appleton, they've got offices there, anywhere in the Fox Valley that you're listening to this program. And now it's time for the listeners to take center stage. So, uh, Sam, uh, I think you're ready to go as uh, Andy and Luke are. 
You bet. Yep. Ready to answer some right. questions. Very good. So we'll start with Sam. And uh, Frank and Appleton wants to know, uh, I'm in a phase-out range for a Roth IRA. My spouse and I are uh, both contributing to Roth IRAs. And now that I'm in the phase-out range, I don't want to deal with the hassle of excess contributions each year. So does it make sense for me to split my 401k into some Roth and then into some uh, traditional contributions? Or would I be better off taking the tax deduction for the full amount of the 401k as traditional? Uh, that's a good question, Frank. Multifaceted. Let me start out by uh, just telling everyone that's listening here. Uh, when when Frank is saying that he's in a phase-out range of his Roth IRA, what that means is uh, his combined household income is getting to a point where it's too high to make a contribution to a Roth IRA. And he's talking about the excess contributions. Well, if you put too much money into something like that, they phase you out of being able to put too much money in. So if you put in too much, you have to take that back out. They call that an excess contribution. And yes, you're absolutely right, correct? It, it or Frank, it is a hassle to do that. So I would say either one of those things that you mentioned would be viable. Um, you know, it's hard for me to answer the question about taking the tax deduction for the full amount of the 401k, uh, not knowing exactly what tax bracket you're in right now. Clearly, you're uh, in a 22 or 24% range at least. Uh, so the biggest question there, Frank, is uh, what do you think that your tax bracket range will be when you retire? So think about that. Uh, if I'm in a 24% tax bracket and I am putting the money into the 401k so I get the quote unquote tax benefit of that, uh, but I think when I retire, I'm going to be in a 22% tax bracket or lower. Well, yeah, that could make a whole lot of sense. You know, that that could make some sense for you to do that uh, because you're basically getting the tax benefit on a higher uh, percentage while paying taxes on a lower percentage. Vice versa would be true uh, going the other way. So that would be something that we would want to make sure that was right and proper for you. But yes, making contributions into both your Roth and your 401k at work, that's never a bad idea either. Just make sure that you're taking uh, advantage of the full match. And in many cases, companies uh, will require a deposit into the traditional side of the 401k in order to put your match money into, and then the Roth is excessive. So find out for sure from the folks that do your payroll on that first, but certainly that's never a bad idea. All right, uh, Ben and Nina wants to know from you, Andy. I keep hearing that it's a great time to invest in bonds. Uh, did I miss the boat or is it still true with the market and economic climate we're in? Well, I guess, Ben, great question. I would start by asking you a few questions in return. What are you trying to solve for using bonds? And what type of bonds are you considering using? So that would be something that um, requires some attention. So there are lots of different types of bonds. And with that, there's some different rules that come in place. Um, with interest rates going up, obviously bond prices generally go down. Uh, is it a good time to get into bonds? Sure, if they're a lower price. But again, how long are you planning on keeping them? What are you planning on using them for? When do you need the money? Um, so sorry to be vague, but there's that's a pretty broad question. And, and I would honestly want to sit down and find out what your desire is or what you're trying to accomplish by using them. And there may be a better tool for you. I guess he wasn't listening to us earlier when uh, you said that there's an aberration. Somebody said that uh, it's not necessarily true, that inverse uh, relationship between uh, uh, rising interest rates and bonds, because the bonds are not Correct. Uh, right, Sam. They're not really uh, capitulating the same way. They're not cooperating uh, in that same way. So, uh, uh, you know, that's a story there, right? I mean, it, it it is an unusual time, right, for that? It is an unusual time. And you do have to be careful, all of you that are listening. When somebody says, oh, it's a great time to do fill in the blanks, well, 
Is it? <laughs> I don't know. You, you have to be able to uh, predict the future and have a crystal ball in order to say that today is the best time to do A. Well, that would mean that you know what's going to happen tomorrow and the week after that might affect A or B. So just be real careful when somebody's saying, oh, this is a great time for whatever. Yeah, it's not a great time to go to Door County right now. Yeah, Unless well, you love the winter. It depends know. upon what you like. It's, it's very pretty right now. Exactly. Cross-country skiing. There Cross you go. Okay, there is always a positive. So, all right, Luke. Uh, Lisa wants to know from Darboy. Uh, my husband has uh, an IRA rolled in from a prior 401k. Now, recently we made a, uh, we were made aware that uh, he can combine it with his current 401k. So, tell us what the pros, if any, and the cons are to taking that path. Hi, Lisa. Yeah, there are some pros to consolidating an IRA into a 401k. Um, it being just consolidating those counts, you know, uh, having less count statements and things like that. One other advantage to, although it doesn't apply to a lot of people, it, not knowing your situation, it could apply to you. Um, an account, an active 401k, once you reach required distribution age, 73 now years old, um, if you're still working for that company, you do not have to take a required distribution then from that account. So the advantage of those funds being in there would be limiting uh, that required distribution. Um, as far as costs, I don't know if that's a pro. I don't know if that's a con. That would all depend on uh, the costs prior versus your current 401k. Um, but there are some cons. I mean, you asked for some cons to making that transition back to the 401k with those funds. And I think one of the biggest ones is that you don't have a lot of service in most instances with the 401k. Um, you have to take the underlying investment risk. You have to make the underlying investment decisions around that. And those 401k plans are going to have limited investment choices. So um, many workers enjoy the flexibility the assistance that might come, the additional investment choices of maintaining an IRA, working with a fiduciary-based firm that can help them navigate those challenges um, along the way. All right, let's go to Daniel and Sherwood. And uh, Sam, uh, Daniel wants to know, with his parents at 64 and 57, respectively, talking about life insurance, and I read it on Reddit that... Uh, it is uh, a scam, basically. And are there benefits from uh, that I'm not considering here? I just want to protect them here. Life insurance, if they don't um, already have it. I, I mean, I don't well, know what the, he's trying the first to ask question of, The first question, of course, is why do they think they need life insurance or why are they considering life insurance at uh, ages 64 and 57? What's the reason for that? You there know, could be lots of good reasons. There, there could be there, lots of bad reasons. There could be. Uh, you know, the title of our book, uh, Purpose Determines Placement, that's exactly why we reference that. It's like, what's the purpose of purchasing this? Um you know, I don't want to be snide about it, but uh, I can tell you that Reddit uh, is not the first place that I go for my uh, in-depth and comprehensively reviewed and uh, understanding financial planning or insurance planning or anything else for that matter. Uh, I would not consider that to be a reputable source of information. Um, so is it a scam? No, life insurance is in no way, shape, form, or fashion a scam. I mean, life insurance has been around since time immemorial. It's written by some of the largest insurance companies on the face of the planet, and it's a protection instrument. It is a risk mitigation instrument, whether that risk is dying and you need to pay bills, uh, whether that risk is uh, passing on legacy amounts to uh, future generations, uh, and today's modern insurance policies. You can even put uh, aspects of uh, chronic care, long-term care coverage inside of those. Um, life insurance as a whole, when it's used properly, 
And when it's structured properly, it can be an extraordinary powerful asset class. It is, in fact, an asset class in and of itself, but it has to be used correctly and it has to be used for the right purpose. All right. Final question comes from Hector in Brilliant. Uh, and uh, Andy wants to know that my wife uh, wants me to work until I'm 60 or more. And I've shown her the calculations and she, she still doesn't think we have enough money to retire. Does anybody else have this problem? And if so, how do you convince your significant other that retirement is possible? Well, that's a great question, Hector. Um, we do find often that there is a difference between thought processes between husbands and wives. And from a standpoint of, I, I really don't know if you have enough or not. That sometimes depends on your lifestyle. I would say most of the time it depends on your lifestyle. I think there's far too much in the news that is constantly droning on about if you don't have a million dollars or they put some number on it then you have got to keep saving or keep working. And and again, I don't know what your situation is, but I can tell you that for the most part, women are concerned and worried about security. And so consequently, security to them doesn't always mean getting into the weeds and the details of what and how much you have in your accounts, but it certainly means how are we going to accomplish having a steady paycheck coming in that she doesn't feel like she has to worry about where groceries and where clothes and the you know everyday lifestyle food clothing and shelter is coming from um, so I would spend some time looking at your budget first and foremost and comparing that to your income stream so what do you have for income coming in what will you have for income coming in if you are 60 years old you are just over the threshold of being able to access your retirement accounts without a penalty what does that really look like in the grand scheme of things? With life expectancy being what it is, closer to 90 years old, if you are considering retiring at 60 and you have the next roughly 30 years, which can be an incredibly expensive time in your life based on healthcare, then you may or may not. I don't know. So it it really begs some attention on looking at your budget, looking at do we need to wait to turn on Social Security until your full retirement age benefits? Understand if you turn on Social Security at 62, you have a limited amount of income that you can make before they start um, decreasing your Social Security payments. If you were to pass on first, she would be left with one Social Security income. And if you started at 62, then it's going to be roughly 24% less than it could be as it's an 8% increase every year that you don't turn it on and you wait until you get to full retirement age benefits. Um, if you can go to age 70, it's even better, but that's where your social security stops growing from there. So just be aware that there is a need to sit down and spend some really serious time looking at what your lifestyle costs. When these different companies that are out there look at what the rising healthcare costs are, and they're suggesting having two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand dollars in ancillary savings just for the costs that are not covered by Medicare and some of your other medical plans. I think that's important to look at, and I think it's important to. Um, spend some time really evaluating what's your health look like right now? What's your family dynamics look like? So just 
be willing to spend a little time in digging to um, come up with some ideas about how much your lifestyle costs. And that's about the uh, extent of it because it's all about the retirement lifestyle review that they will have for you at Dual Financial Strategies. Uh, 866-203-7486. 866-203-7486. It's no cost, no obligation to sit down with the fiduciaries at Dual Financial Strategies. It's all about your retirement. Sam, it's been a great show. Your final thoughts. We're just looking for folks that are like-minded and that want the right people in their corner. Appreciate you tuning in this weekend. Come and see us. Let's talk about how you feel about things. Investment advisory services offered through Dual Financial Strategies, LLC, a Wisconsin registered investment advisor. Dual Financial Strategies does not provide legal or tax advice. Investment advisor representatives of Dual Financial Strategies may only conduct business with residents of the states and jurisdictions in which they are properly registered. Insurance and annuity products are sold through Dual Financial Strategies.